All right. Are you ready for this? Awesome. You are tentatively ready for this, I can see. Let me start with a scripture today, Luke 4, 1 to 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. We are starting a new initiative this month. Um, Every year, we like to do a month of prayer. We like to emphasize prayer. We are a prayerful church. But this year, we're adding a twist and an extra focus on the spiritual discipline of fasting. I've, I've only been here for about two and a half years, so I don't, I don't have any of the history of whether fasting has been an emphasis at APA in recent history or maybe in long past history, maybe, maybe not. Uh, and, and I don't know necessarily if this is something that's been a part of your walk with Jesus, but, but we want to introduce it to our church or reintroduce it to our church this month and see if we can get on a regular rhythm together. Certainly in future years when we do a month of prayer, we want to incorporate fasting, but hopefully you'll also be inspired Uh, through the series and through the testimony videos that we've prepared to get fasting as a part of your own spiritual rhythm. And so, uh, again, this may be new, it may not be new, but today we're going to really talk about it in an introductory way to get us all moving in the right direction. Now, let's clarify a few things because you may be familiar, you may not be familiar with what we're talking about when the Bible talks about fasting. Because today, actually, fasting is, is not unheard of. There's a lot of conversation about fasting. If, if you go out into the street and you talk to someone about fasting, um, they may have a familiarity around it, whether it's a religious background or something else. For example, in the world of health and fitness, fasting has become incredibly popular, often called intermittent fasting, and it's proven to have a lot of health benefits. And, and if you go talk to someone on the street and say, hey, do you know about fasting? This is probably what they'll think you're talking about. So with intermittent fasting, you, you actually, you can take the same amount of food you would normally eat in a day, but you reduce the amount of time that you eat to a six or eight hour window. And then the rest of the 16 or 18 hours, if I got my math right, you don't eat. And what happens is your body is more likely to metabolize fat storage so that you can actually lose weight. Even if you eat the same amount of calories or even more calories, that's why people intermittent fast. And normally if you go out in the street, hey, do you know about fasting? Someone would think this is what you're talking about. This is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about this today, but there is an interesting connection because because when you think about what the Bible teaches about fasting, one of the things that it doesn't necessarily bring up is the fact that God knew that it could actually be beneficial because intermittent fasting has been proven to lower risks of heart disease and cancer and all kinds of interesting things. It's a fascinating thing to look at. So God knew actually fasting could be physically beneficial for us, but more so are the spiritual benefits that we'll be talking about this month. Uh, The other kind of fasting we're not talking about is the kind of fasting where people will, for spiritual reasons, and Christians do this, they'll fast like uh, activities or habits. So they'll do something like a social media fast, or they'll do a fast of not buying anything new. Rebecca and I did this once. For three months, we didn't buy anything new. It was really interesting. 
Uh, or you may be fast from dating for a season. You're sick of the dating scene. You're just going to put that aside and focus on the Lord. All of these are good practices. All of these can provide spiritual benefit in our lives. But uh, this is not actually what the Bible means when it talks about fasting. This would be a discipline of abstinence, abstinence from certain things for a season. But it's not technically, according to Scripture, fasting. In the Bible, fasting is always about food. Always. There's no kind of fast that doesn't relate to our relationship with food. Fasting was incorporated in the annual religious calendar. There were lots of festivals or times of remembrance when people fasted. Generally, uh, people in, the, in Bible times, and especially religious leaders, fasted twice a week. They had two 24-hour fasts every single week. Early Christians did the same thing. Two 24-hour fasts every single week to set aside time to pray and focus on the things of the Lord. Additionally, fasting is not just abstaining from food. The discipline of fasting is always connected to other spiritual disciplines, particularly prayer. So we don't just fast. We don't just stop eating. If, if all you do is stop eating, then all you're doing is dieting. What we're talking about is setting food aside, setting our desires aside, so that we can focus on the things of the Lord. It's never done for the sake of fasting. Now, there's one very, very practical reason why people, especially in biblical times, fasted. And I want to talk about four reasons today. It's not an exhaustive list, but four reasons today why we fast. One is intensely practical, and three are more spiritually oriented. But the first very practical reason why we fast is simply to set aside time for prayer. Now think about this, like I said, very practically. Think about how long it takes you to prepare and eat food every day. Uh, any cereal people, breakfast cereal people in the room? Yeah? Okay. My kids love corn pops and Fruit Loops and anything with more sugar than you could possibly imagine. Any corn pops people in the room? Come on, a couple of shy little hands went up like this. Yeah? What's the cereal of choice for the cereal people? Shout it out. Sugar Crisp, Shreddies, Frosted Flake, Honey Nut Cheerios. Come on, cinnamon. Yeah, there's some great healthy cereals being shouted out in the room this morning. Now, cereal takes like nine seconds to prepare, right? That's why most people do it just quick. It takes three to eight minutes to eat. Not a lot of time for breakfast. And then if it's a normal weekday for a lot of us, uh, we're going to prepare a lunch. Maybe you'll just grab some leftovers from the fridge from last night. Or maybe you'll make a sandwich or a salad, grab a granola bar, a piece of fruit. It takes like, I don't know, five, ten minutes to prepare lunch. You take it to work. Another 10 minutes to actually, actually eat lunch during your lunch break. Not a ton of time saving there. But think about dinner. Depending on how much you enjoy cooking, you can spend 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes preparing dinner, then 10 to 20 minutes eating it, not to mention all the cleanup afterwards. There's, there's a lot of time focused around the dinner table. And of course, your day, so you're a 21st century person, so you and I might spend, might spend one to three hours in food preparation and consumption. Or, you know, if you don't, so, so that means if you don't prep or eat any food in a day, you save one to three hours that can be redirected toward prayer. 
This is the very practical reason why we fast. Consider this, though. We live in a time in history when it has never been easier or faster to prepare food. Uh, My Auntie Irene uh, ran a microwave store, and she taught microwave cooking lessons to housewives. Like, this was revolutionary in that time. But microwaves have changed the world. Like, literally, you can, if, if this is you, you can just grab a box of something, put it in the microwave for a minute or two, and you're eating dinner. Like, that is ridiculously unprecedented in the history of the world. Historically speaking, food prep takes very little time for us. But consider, being a first century person, the amount of time you would spend preparing food, daily visits to the market, cooking everything from scratch, food preparation may have actually taken the majority of the day. The time savings provided by fasting would have been massive. So if you wanted to spend any sort of length of time, any dedicated time praying and seeking the Lord, the best option was to not prep or eat any food that day. It was very practically speaking, that's the reason. So we read from Luke chapter 4, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. If Jesus wanted to go on a 40-day solo retreat with no one there to serve him or help him out, eating just wasn't really an option. If he wanted to spend that time in the presence of the Lord by himself, eating would have stolen too much time. And so here's the deal. I talk to a lot of people about their prayer life, And the most common excuse I get for people who don't pray regularly is, what do you think it is? I don't have enough time. So maybe once or twice a week, you do have time. You do have even five or ten minutes instead of lunch prep. You do have an hour instead of dinner prep and eating because you can set that time aside to pray and be in the presence of the Lord. So that's the very practical reason why we fast. We can set that time aside to be in prayer. But secondly, and and going now into the more spiritual reasons, secondly, we fast to battle against our our addiction to consumption. We fast to battle against our addiction to consumption. I think this is especially relevant in Western Christianity. Those of us who grew up in relative wealth and affluence compared to much of the world were obsessed with consumption. Our whole lives are built around it. Our world is designed around consumption and consumerism, and it works our way into our relationships with each other. It works our way into our relationship with God. It works its way into the church. It works its way into how we treat people. So fasting, I think, can be a powerfully subversive spiritual discipline to help us break the bondage of consumption in our lives. It can help us learn to sacrifice. It can help us learn to suffer. It can help us learn to say no to cravings and desires, which we just don't tend to be very good at. We don't need to consume everything our body wants us to consume. When we do, it shapes our soul in profoundly negative ways. And fasting, I believe, can counteract that, redirecting our hearts toward God. Now, here's the thing. like Our bodies are designed to consume. Our bodies are designed to need nourishment, to need to to, to consume things. Consumption itself is not evil. It's just a necessary behavior to survive. We need food. We need water. We need air. We need clothing. We need shelter. I looked it up. The average person eats 
between 1,300 and 1,600 pounds of food per year. Oh, that sounds like a lot, but it's just what the average human body requires to survive. But like so many other things, we can get addicted to consumption. Part of it's a necessity, but we can get addicted to it, and we can overconsume, and, and then consumption turns into consumerism. And consumerism isn't just a behavior, it's not a necessity. Consumerism is a worldview that shapes the way we see people and the world around us. Consumerism is a way of interacting with the world. It's a way of perceiving things. And we tend to attach our identity and our significance to our acts of consumption. So I don't just buy clothes. I have to buy specific brands of clothes and make sure people know what kind of brands of clothes I buy. Or I do the opposite and make sure people know that I don't care what brands of clothes I buy. And I don't, just, I don't just drink coffee. I drink the most pretentious coffee possible because coffee isn't good unless it costs at least $8 and everyone needs to know which coffee shops I won't go to. And you know, most of us have a graveyard of travel mugs and drink containers somewhere in our house. And that new giant Stanley mug is going to be there in about six months when the newest drink container comes, Right? Is there one on stage? Ooh, sorry. <laughs> but we all, know, we all know how this works. We, we don't just consume. We get addicted to consumption. It turns into consumerism and becomes an identity for us. And consumption, by definition, is selfish. Not necessarily sinful, but selfish. I eat food so that I can survive. I drink water so that I can survive. It's about me and my needs. But addiction to consumption... And a consumption that turns into consumerism supercharges the selfishness. I begin to view the world and I begin to view resources and I view other people solely based on how they could benefit me. So we interact only with people that we think we can benefit from. Are, is this person useful to me? Will this person help me get what I want? Will, will they help me gain more status? Will they help me enjoy life more? Will they help me achieve my dreams? Will they help me make more money? Will they help me be a better version of me? And if not, I have no interest in them. And when we view other people through the lens of consumption and consumerism, we forget that each and every person is made in the image of God and has infinite value regardless of how they might benefit me. So this consumeristic attitude, it worms its way into our relationships, but ultimately it also worms its way into our view of God. We begin to only value God for what he can do for us. Can God help me fulfill my dreams? Can God get me what I want? Can God fix my problems? Sure, Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago, but what has he done for me lately? In the story of the prodigal son, the son and decides he doesn't really want a relationship with his father. He just wants the things his father can give him. He just wants his father's stuff. So he asks his father for an early inheritance, which is basically like saying, I'd be better off if you were dead. So he gets the early inheritance and he leaves and he spends it all and squanders it all and, and ruins his life over it. But what it reveals is this attitude that many of us have toward God that we don't really want a relationship with him. We only want to interact with him if we find him useful to us and if he will give us the things that we ask of him. And if he doesn't, 
we leave. But Scripture is trying to shape us to embrace God, not just because of what God can give us, not just because of of what God can, can bless us with. It's trying to shape us toward the deeper calling of intimacy with God, to have a relationship with Him. It's trying to help us see the inherent value of God for who God is, to seek His face, not just His stuff. But the amazing reality you find when you learn how to do that is you see that God loves you for who you are too. He sees you as infinitely valuable. He's not just interested in you because you might become one of his worshipers. He's not just interested in you so that he can use you as a pawn in one of his plans. He's interested in you because you're valuable and he loves you for who you are. So fasting, I believe, is one of the ways that we can battle against our addiction to consumption. And we can battle against this this nefarious worldview of consumerism coming in and taking over our relationships and taking over our faith. We learn to consume less than what we want. We learn how to say no to ourselves. We learn to seek God and love God even when we don't feel full. Even when we're unsatisfied, we worship. Fasting teaches us to live with less even when our body is shouting, I want more. So we fast to battle against our addiction to consumption. Thirdly, we fast to declare our dependence on God. We are most assuredly dependent on food to survive. As long as you drink water and don't have other complications, apparently you can survive two, maybe more months without food. Might depend on how much extra you've got hanging around. You can survive about a week maximum without water. Never tried it. You can survive three to five minutes without air. All of these things we are dependent on to survive, we need to consume them to live. But isn't it true to say that even more than food and water and air, we need the Lord? Isn't the Lord the author and sustainer of life? Don't the scriptures say that in him all things hold together? And so fasting can be a symbolic act declaring this truth. God, I need you. I need you more than food. I need you more than air. I need you more than any other desire my body has. I need your presence. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your strength and your love. I need your help, God. My grandpa Funk, Abe Funk, was a farmer, an old-school German Mennonite farmer. Uh, You know the kind that doesn't smile for pictures? That kind of old-school German Mennonite farmer. And uh, one day, he found a lump on his uvula, that's the hangy ball in the back of your throat, and he went to the doctor, and mind you, this was like 70 years ago, right? So medicine wasn't what it is today. Went to the doctor. The doctor wasn't quite sure what it was, um, couldn't couldn't tell him if it was cancer or not, but it certainly worried my grandpa, partly because he had 12 kids to feed, right? Like I said, German Mennonite farmer. Um, And so grandpa decided to seek the Lord. He decided to depend on the Lord in this situation because he wasn't getting the help he needed elsewhere, and so he did a fast. And so he fasted a day, three days, a week, Now remember, he was a farmer. He didn't stop farming during this time. That's heavy labor. He continued to fast. Grandpa Abe fasted for 40 days. 40 days. And uh, 
at the end of the 40 days, the lump was gone. Now, this is not necessarily to make Grandpa Abe a hero or to say, we all need to fast for 40 days. Um, the, the point of this story is that Grandpa learned to depend on the Lord. Grandpa learned to depend on the Lord. He trusted in God. He, 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 it, this illustrates his extreme dependence on God to come through when nothing else was going to be able to, to work. Dallas Willard talks about it like this. He says, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. My grandpa Abe learned this truth as a farmer. He learned this truth that man shall not live by bread alone. We live by relying on the Lord. I want you to recognize something about Jesus' 40-day fast as well, which we read in Luke chapter 4. Um, I've never fasted 40 days like Jesus or my grandpa Abe, but I imagine that by the end of it, they were physically drained, right? Like, can you, can you kind of think, like, I would be tired, I would be exhausted, you don't have the energy produced by food, you're going to be overwhelming, overwhelmingly physically tired. But while Jesus became physically malnourished, he became spiritually alive. His physical weakness was contrasted by his spiritual power by the end of the fast. And if you know the story, the devil spent 40 days tempting Jesus, but Jesus overcame each test. And we read at the end of the account, verse 13 to 14, the devil had finished all his tempting. He left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This man who was probably physically the weakest he ever was, was the most powerfully spiritually, powerful spiritually. And it began, it launched his public ministry. He may have become physically weak, but in his time of prayer and in the presence of the Lord, and his commitment to desire the things of God, it filled him with spiritual power. He became empty of food, but filled with power. And maybe you're feeling spiritually weak. Maybe you're feeling spiritually beat up and lethargic and drained, and you just don't have it anymore. Maybe you're feeling empty and unsatisfied, but you feed your body daily with food to make it strong and energetic, but your soul is starving and weak. And maybe once in a while we need to do the opposite. Maybe once in a while we need to discipline our body and declare through fasting that we are dependent on God alone and God needs to fill us with his spiritual power. Final reason I want to share today. We fast to seek a kind of fulfillment that only God can provide. You know, sometimes you just get cravings for certain food. When Rebecca was pregnant with our firstborn, she had a couple cravings for McDonald's cheeseburgers. And I was happy to do a McDonald's run for her. I threw a few extra cheeseburgers in for myself. But sometimes you just get a craving. You, get, you just got to have a cookie or you just got to have a good steak and you just, you, you can't wait until you, you have to fulfill that craving. We have cravings for food all the time. It's what makes fasting hard. If you didn't get hungry, it wouldn't be a discipline. But I like how uh, Richard Foster puts it so bluntly. In many ways, the stomach is like a spoiled child, and a spoiled child does not need indulgence, but needs discipline. Our body needs to be disciplined. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave, because he's trying to find something greater than just the desires the body 
can produce. Fasting is a way to set aside our physical desires to seek a kind of fulfillment only God can provide. We discipline our bodies to seek something greater. One day Jesus was with his disciples and he hadn't eaten for a while and it had been so long that his disciples were worried about him. Matthew 4, 31 says, His disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was fasting. He was hungry, but he still felt full because he was doing God's will. This episode was right after Jesus met with the Samaritan woman at the well and administered to her, and she went off. Her life was changed. She went preaching the gospel of Jesus everywhere. Other people responded. It was an amazing ministry time, and doing that ministry, doing that work, serving the Father in heaven was what made Jesus feel full in a way that food never could. You see, fasting can be a form of feasting on the Lord. No McDonald's cheeseburger can fill me like God can when I am fully devoted to him. So again, in this way, fasting can can merely just be a symbolic act. It's not a means to manipulate God. It doesn't attract his attention like, oh, I I better do something because they're fasting. But it's a physical way that we can present ourselves to God in humility to say, God, there are things that only you can give. And I'm setting aside my desires to seek the things that are only in your hands. This relates back to Jesus' teaching on fasting from the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Some people do it just to look good, just to act spiritual. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting act natural, like get ready for the day, go about your business. Don't let it be a show for others, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, fasting is an act of faith. It's not something we do to impress other people. It's not something we do to gain spiritual status or to look down on people who don't do it. It's something we do because we know there are riches to be had in God's presence. And those riches are only available when we seek him earnestly. So listen, as you survey the Bible, there's all kinds of reasons people will fast. And in your study guide this week, hopefully you've started it, you've already seen a couple of those. The people of Nineveh fasted to repent of their sin. Nehemiah fasted, asking God for favor with the king. David fasted at the death of Saul and Jonathan. The leaders of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church fasted when they were appointing ministry leaders. There are so many reasons that might trigger a fast or seasons of life where fasting is the appropriate way to enter into that time. But when you think about the world today, can you not think of a million reasons why we should set aside our own desires and seek the presence of the Lord? People in our city are lost and broken, the enemy blinding them to the love of God. People are struggling to pay their bills. People are addicted to substances that are killing them. Global conflict in Europe and the Middle East. There are so many reasons that this is a great time to fast. Yet fasting seems to be one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines 
in the Western church. I think it's time it made a comeback. I think it's time that the Western church changed its reputation for what it was all about. That we lear- we've learned, I believe, that we can't do this without God. We've learned that we can't live without the presence of, le- of the Lord. We've tried to live on bread alone, but we can't. Jesus warned us. We tried the opposite. We need the word of God. We need the presence of God. Fasting is not a magic incantation. It doesn't earn extra grace points with God, but I think it's something God honors in his people when they earnestly seek his face, when they show their earnestness and their devotion to him through letting their desires go. So you are invited. You are invited. We're going to do something together at the end of this month, at this en- the end of this emphasis. We're going to have a week, February 25th to March 2nd, where we are calling a church-wide fast. We're going to kick it off with a worship and prayer night on February 25th, along with the other Wednesday night gatherings. We're going to have communion that night and some snacks as kind of a symbolic last meal. And then we invite you between the 25th and the 2nd. It, it could be the whole week for the brave, it could be a couple of meals or a couple of days or, or whatever, whatever you and the Lord. And you know what? For some of you, you've got to talk to your doctor too. I need to throw that in there, all right? But let's do something together that postures us before God in humility to say, God, there's something we need that only you can provide. In the prayer and fasting guide, the last couple of pages helps you create a fasting plan. Read through that. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Ben, would you come back up? But let's not be a prayerless generation. Let's not be known as a generation addicted to selfish consumption and consumerism. Let's not be known as an undisciplined generation. Let's not be known as a people full of food, yet devoid of spiritual power. Let's not be known as those who aren't willing to set aside their own desires to seek the Lord. There are riches. There are riches in the presence of God, and those riches are found by seekers. So let's start our prayer month off well. Would you stand with me? Our prayer team is going to come to provide ministry up here at the front of the stage. Come on up right now, prayer team. And... uh, I want to invite you, if you want prayer, if you want to seek the Lord today, come, a prayer team member will minister to you. But even if you just want to come, I wonder if there's just some people today that are hungry for the Lord and just want to step out of their chairs as a symbol of their desire to seek God and maybe just find some space wherever, in the aisles, upstairs, around the front of the... Like, let's just spend these next five minutes as we close and singing this song about asking, seeking, and praying. Let's start this month off hungry. Let's start this month off seeking the Lord. Let's start this month off to say, God, this month is set aside for prayer and fasting. This month is set aside to seek riches that only you can provide. And here I am. Here I am, God. Fill me. Fill me with something that no substance, that no food, that nothing I can consume could ever fill me like your presence and your power. Would you come right now? Let's sing together. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Show us that's where the miracle starts. 
beyond what I want, beyond what I see. The change for my world begin it in me. I'm wholly surrendered. Lord, do what you will in me. Just make me your vessel. This life is an offering. I'm wholly surrendered. I'm wholly surrendered. Lord, do what you will in me. Just make me your vessel. This life is an offering. You can have it all, God. You can have it all. You can have it all, God. You can have it all. You can have it all, God. You can have it all. You can have it all. Humbly we come, boldly we see. All that we ask, we lay at your feet. Spirit of God, move on up. Heaven and earth collide in your name. Holy surrender, Lord, do what you will in me. Just make me your vessel. This life is an offering. I'm holy surrender. Holy surrender, Lord, do what you will. This life is in offering. Cause you can have it all, God. You can have it all. You can have it all, God. You can have it all. You can have it all, God. You can have it all. You can have it Jesus Christ, the high. 
Life is an offering. I'm holy surrender. Lord, do what you will in me. Just make me your vessel. This life is an offering. I think one of the questions that we often need to ask ourselves in God's presence is, is what, do I, what am I not willing to surrender in the presence of the Lord? What am I not willing to surrender? And I think often the Holy Spirit I know in my life is wanting to put his finger on that thing and ask the question, why are you not willing to surrender that thing? You know, sometimes something like fasting, like learning how to surrender food for a period of time is a great discipline because it teaches us to let go. It teaches us to say no to ourselves, yes. But there's so many bigger things, idols in our life that we hang on to and they become a barrier between us and God. They become a barrier in our relationships. We're hanging on, we're hanging on, we're hanging on for dear life to something that is actually potentially gonna lead us down a path toward death. And we have a savior who surrendered his throne to come to earth, surrendered the crown of the kingdom of heaven to come and die on a cross, surrendered his life, surrendered his blood to redeem us, rescue us, restore us, and give us new life. What should we not be willing to lay at his feet so that we can be healed, so we can be saved, so we can be given life? So can we just go through those last couple of slides? I think it's the bridge. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about surrender. What is it that you're not willing to surrender? Just name that. Just be willing to talk about it. And let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. Just make me your vessel. This life is an offering. I'm holy surrender. Lord, do what you will in me. Just make me your vessel. This life is an offering. I'm wholly surrendered. Lord, do what you will in me. Just make me your vessel. This life is an offering. You can have it all. 
said those who hang on to their life will ultimately lose it but those who give it up to him those who surrender it will find eternal life they'll find the life that is truly life and it's a process and it's hard but I just want to give you that as a thought to meditate on something to work through this week as the spirit ministers to you that which I'm hanging on to and refuse to let go might be the thing that causes me to miss out on the riches and the glory of eternal life that Jesus has for me. But if I can learn to let it go, if I can learn to give it to him, what did Jesus show us when he surrendered everything? What happened? Resurrection life. That's faith, trusting him to, to, to give it to him, to let him have it all, to do what he will, will, will do with it. God, we love you. We thank you. We honor you today. Thank you for this journey we're on as a church together and we pray lord god that through it as we release and surrender and give things up to you lord god that you would pour out your spirit you would reveal your presence and your power to us you would break through in each of our lives lord jesus and as we ask and we seek and we pray we know that you will respond so we have all this to you in the mighty name of jesus our lord the one who surrendered everything for our life in his name amen Amen. Thank you so much, church. Thanks for being with us today. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.